Well, hey, everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode of our podcast, we are finishing up our sermon series called Mosaic. Now, all throughout this series, we've been exploring different stories or different pieces from Jesus's life to see what those stories have to teach us about who Jesus is. Well, today we're going to be taking a look at an unusual story from Jesus's time on this earth, a story unlike any other that we find in the entire Bible, and that's the story of Jesus's transfiguration. So through this sermon, we're going to see what the transfiguration has to teach us about who Jesus is and the fact that it shows us that Jesus is way more than just a prophet. So let's get right into this episode sermon. sermon series, we have been exploring different stories or different pieces from Jesus's time on this earth to see what these stories can teach us about who Jesus is. And just like when you add another piece into a mosaic work of art, it makes that picture a little bit clearer. Every story about Jesus gives us a clearer picture of who Jesus is. Every story about Jesus gives us a clearer picture of who Jesus is. And in a lot of ways, what we have been doing over the last few weeks reminds me of a game that I always wanted when I was a kid, and that was the board game, Guess Who? Now, just in case you weren't a child of the 80s who grew up playing countless rounds of Guess Who with your friends, here's kind of how the game works. So in the game of Guess Who, you have two players, and each player starts the game with an identical game board made up of the same 24 cartoon caricatures. And your job is to guess which one of those 24 caricatures your opponent has. So using a series of yes or no questions, players take turns going back and forth, whittling down the number of options until they're able to identify which one of the characters their opponent has selected. So, when you're playing a game of Guess Who, you can ask questions like, does your character have a beard? Or, does your character wear glasses? Or, does your character have red hair? And little by little, you eliminate all of the possibilities until you can correctly guess who your opponent is selecting. Now, I said just a minute ago that I always wanted this game when I was a kid, but I never actually got a copy of this game for myself. So you better believe that when my daughter was old enough to start playing board games, we got her her own copy of Guess Who pretty early on. So today I've actually borrowed a card from Hannah's version of Guess Who, and we're going to start the sermon out by playing a round of Guess Who together. And here's how it's going to work. In just a second, we're going to put up on the screen behind me, or on your screen if you're joining us online, a character card. And using a series of yes or no questions, you're going to try to guess which one of these characters I have picked. But to make it a little bit more challenging for you and to keep our service progressing along, I'm only going to let you guys ask a total of four questions to try to correctly guess which one of these characters I have selected. So David, go ahead and put the character card up on the screen. You'll see I already narrowed down the possibilities. You're not picking from 24. There are 10 characters that are on the screen. And you're going to have a chance to ask those four questions. After four questions, I'll pick one of you to try to guess which one of these characters I have selected this morning. If that person guesses right, then the whole church wins and you get bragging rights. If that person guesses wrong, then I win. And you better believe that I'll take advantage of my bragging rights. 
And just in case you're afraid that I will cheat, even though I'm a pastor, over in the tech booth, David knows which one of the characters I've selected, and we've got the card that we'll put up when we finish our round of Guess Who. So, if you have a yes or no question that you want to ask to help narrow it down, go ahead and raise your hand, and I'll call on you. Jerry. Does my character have blonde hair? No, my character does not have blonde hair. That's one. Will. Does my character have a hat on? Yes, my character is wearing a hat. Really helping you narrow it down. Leslie. Does my character have glasses? No, my character does not have glasses on. All right, you still got one more question you can ask. Or if, if somebody's ready to guess which one of the characters I've selected, Margie. That's right, I've selected character number three. David, you can put it up on the screen. Maybe. <laughs> we got it right, so you know I wasn't cheating. That's the big thing. <laughs> that was kind of a fun way for us to start into our sermon today. But you might still be wondering what a game of Guess Who has to do with anything that we're talking about today. Like I said at the beginning of the sermon, you know, over the last few weeks, we've been in the sermon series where we've been exploring different stories from Jesus' life to see what these stories have to teach us about who Jesus is. So, in a way, we have been kind of playing our own version of Guess Who over the last few weeks here at Melbourne Heights. But instead of asking questions of Jesus like, does Jesus have a beard, or did Jesus have brown eyes, or did Jesus wear glasses, we've been asking different questions about Jesus. We've been asking things like, was, when Jesus was born, was he laid in a manger? Or was Jesus baptized by John the Baptist? Or did Jesus call fishermen to be his first disciples? And the answers to all of those questions have been, yes. When Jesus was born, he was laid in a manger, and he was visited by shepherds and by wise men. And yes, Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And yes, Jesus called Peter and Andrew and James and John to leave their fishing nets behind to become the first people who would follow him. So, little by little, as we've asked these questions and we've found the answers to them, we've started to better understand what it means for God to have walked among us. But if we're being completely honest today, then we also have to admit that a few weeks isn't enough time to really know who Jesus is. A few weeks isn't enough time to really know who Jesus is. The truth is that even after years of following Jesus as his students, even after spending years where they spent every waking minute of the day with Jesus, even after spending years of sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to Jesus teach, even after spending years of sharing meals and sharing stories together, even after spending years of watching Jesus perform miracles and heal people, Jesus' closest followers, his disciples, they didn't even completely understand who Jesus is. So in the middle of Jesus' ministry, he actually plays his own version of a guess-who game with his disciples. Now, you can read this entire story in Matthew chapter 16, but here's how that game of guess who plays out. It starts with Jesus looking at his disciples and saying, who do people say that I am? 
And from there, the guests begin. The disciples say, well, Jesus, some people say that you're John the Baptist. No, Jesus isn't John the Baptist. Well, but other people say that you're Elijah. No, he's not Elijah either. Well, some folks, Jesus, say that you are Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But you're wrong on both counts. Jesus isn't Jeremiah or one of the prophets either. Now, if you've spent much time in church over the years, you've probably heard this story before. But have you ever stopped to wonder why it is that people were saying that Jesus was John the Baptist, or that Jesus was Elijah, or that Jesus was Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets? Because there was a good reason why people thought that Jesus might have been any of those other folks. And it's because up until this point in Jesus' ministry, he's done things that the prophets of old, the prophets who came before him, would have done. Now, remember what a prophet is. A prophet is just someone who speaks on behalf of God. And Jesus has been doing a whole lot of that up to this point in his ministry. Up to this point in his ministry, Jesus has spent most of his time preaching and teaching and performing miracles. And these are the same things that the prophets who came before Jesus would have done. So that's why people thought that Jesus may have been John the Baptist, or that he may have been Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But in Matthew chapter 16, Matthew wants to make it clear to us that Jesus isn't just another prophet. What Matthew wants us to see is that although Jesus may have lived like a prophet, he was more than a prophet. Although Jesus may have lived like a prophet, he was more than a prophet. So in the culmination of his game of guess who with the disciples, Jesus changes the question just a little bit. And instead of asking, who do people say that I am, he asked the disciples, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter steps up to the plate and he takes his swing at guessing who Jesus is. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So when Peter took his swing, he hit a home run. He was absolutely right. Jesus is the Christ. Now that word, the Christ, is just a word that we as people of faith use to say that Jesus is our one true king. So Jesus is our one true king, but that's not all that Peter tells us about him. Peter also says that Jesus is the son of the living God. So if Jesus is the one true king and Jesus is the son of the living God, then clearly Jesus is more than just a great teacher. Clearly Jesus is more than just a moral leader. Clearly Jesus is more than just a prophet. This is the way that Benjamin, Rabbi Benjamin Black explains it when Peter says that Jesus is the Christ. Peter is saying that Jesus is the Savior sent by God to redeem his people and bring about the divinely destined time for universal peace and acknowledgement of the one God by all of mankind. Now, I know that's a lot, so I'm going to say it again. Benjamin Black says when Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, he's saying that Jesus is the Savior sent by God to redeem his people and bring about the divinely destined time for universal peace and the acknowledgement of the one God by all of mankind. And as soon as Peter learns that he's right, that Jesus is the one true king, the rightful king, the one that God has sent to save the people of Israel, 
you can almost hear the trumpets blast playing in Peter's ears. You can almost see a vision of a conquering king riding on a bright white stallion going by in front of Peter's eyes. Because as soon as Peter finds out that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the one that God has sent to save the people of Israel, Peter's ready for Jesus' coronation. Peter is ready for Jesus' to Jesus's triumphal entry, but not just going into the city of Jerusalem. Peter is ready for Jesus to go sweeping all across the Roman Empire. Peter is ready for Jesus to stand up to Caesar and kick Caesar out and bring an end to all of the oppressive things that Caesar and the Roman Empire have been doing to the people of Israel. At the very least, Peter expects that Jesus is going to go marching in to Pilate's palace, the Roman governor's palace in Israel, and kick that guy off the throne so that Jesus can take his spot on Israel's throne. And anything less than that is going to be completely unacceptable in Peter's mind. But that's because when Peter finds out that Jesus is the Christ, the one sent by God to save the people of Israel, well, Peter expects that Jesus is going to behave the same way that other folks that God has used to save the people of Israel in the past behave. So Peter expected that Jesus was going to act like people like Moses. When God used Moses to bring an end to Israel's 400 years of slavery in Egypt, God, Peter expects that Jesus is going to do the same kind of things that Moses did. So when Peter finds out that Jesus is in fact the Christ, he's already picturing in his head that Jesus has gone up to the mountaintop, that Jesus has bowed down before the burning bush, that Jesus has been told the same kind of things that God told Moses. When God said to Moses something along the lines of, I have, I have seen the misery of my people in Israel. I have heard their cries to bring relief from their oppression. I see their suffering and have felt it, and I am here to rescue them. And then Peter expects that Jesus is going to go marching into Israel's equivalent of Pilate's, of, of Pharaoh's palace, which would have been the governor Pilate's palace, and he would have demanded that Pilate let his people go. And if Pilate didn't listen to Jesus' demands, then Peter would have expected that Jesus would call, cause the water to turn to blood. That Jesus would call down frogs and flies and locusts and gnats to fall upon Pilate. That Jesus would cause Pilate's livestock to die or boils to pop up on Pilate's skin. Or that fiery hail would rain down on Pilate's palace. Or in short, Peter would have expected that Jesus would cause plagues to fall upon Pilate until he listened. God's message. And once that happened, once Pilate listened to God's message, he would have expected that Pilate would vacate the throne, that Jesus would step back into his rightful place as the king of Israel and show the world what it meant for Jesus to be our one true king. But if talking to burning bushes or parting the seas or carrying around big stone tablets wasn't quite Jesus' thing, then Peter would have expected that he would behave like someone else God used to save the people of Israel, the prophet Elijah. And that's because Peter remembers Elijah's story. And Elijah's story, he's the only one who has the guts to stand up to one of the most corrupt kings in Israel's history and to tell this king that his marriage to an outside princess isn't a good idea. And that's because Elijah realizes that as soon as the king is married to this outside princess, that this princess is going to cause the people of Israel to stray away from God. 
She's going to lead them to essentially cheat on their God, the one true God, with these other so-called deities that this princess brought along with her. So Peter expects Jesus to act that same way. He expects Jesus to go and stand before the religious leaders in Israel in his day and call them out for leading the people astray, causing them to cheat on God by their love of rules and regulations. Peter expects that Jesus is going to call those religious leaders and demand that they meet him on a mountaintop for a showdown like Elijah did when he called out the prophets of Baal and demand that the religious leaders prove that they are the ones who know who God is. And when God doesn't listen to their prayers, well, Peter expects Jesus to come swooping in to show not only the religious leaders, not only the people of Israel, but the entire world that Jesus is the chosen one that God has sent to save his people. From there, Peter would have expected that at the very least, all of the religious leaders in Israel would lose their jobs. They might even lose their lives. But all of Israel would return to focusing in on God's kingdom instead of the idolatry that they had been committing. So all of this, this is what was running through Peter's head when he confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. These are the expectations that Peter has. Because when he says that Jesus is the Christ to Peter, that means that Jesus is supposed to be a king. Jesus is supposed to be the one that is in charge. Jesus is supposed to defeat all of Israel's enemies. And Peter, well, he's supposed to reap benefits from it because Peter's been following Jesus along. But here's the thing. Even though Peter was able to correctly guess who Jesus is, it doesn't mean that Peter actually understands who Jesus is. Just because Peter can guess who Jesus is doesn't mean that Peter understands who Jesus is. You can think about it like the game of Guess Who. Now, if we were playing the game of Guess Who and you were trying to describe me, you might say things like, he has a beard, or he has brown hair, or that he's a man. Or, based on the fact that I'm standing up here leading in a worship service, you might even be able to correctly guess that I'm the pastor of this church. But if all that you know about me is my gender or my hair color or my job title, it doesn't mean that you actually know me. If you know my gender and my hair color and my job title, you might be able to pick me out of a police lineup, but you don't really know me from Adam, as the old expression goes. Well, the same thing is true for Peter. Peter knows Jesus' hair color. He knows Jesus' eye color. He knows the work that Jesus has been doing in the world. Peter even knows Jesus' title when he says that Jesus is the Christ. But just because Peter knows all of these things doesn't mean that he actually understands who Jesus is. But not too long after this game of guess who took place, Peter is going to come to a much better understanding of who Jesus is. Because about six days after that story takes place, Peter is part of a small group of disciples that travel along with Jesus as Jesus climbs to the top of a high mountain. And as they are climbing this mountain, you have to imagine that Peter is envisioning and thinking about those people who had saved Israel in the past and the way that mountaintop moments had played pivotal roles in their stories. 
So as they're climbing up that mountain together, you have to believe that Peter is thinking about the story of Moses climbing up Mount Sinai to talk with God. Or Peter is thinking about the story of Elijah climbing up Mount Carmel for his showdown against the prophets of Baal. But when Jesus and Peter and that small group of disciples arrive on the mountaintop, something completely unexpected happens. Now we find this story in the Gospel of Matthew, or Matthew's biography, in Matthew chapter 17. But before we take a look at this story, I just want to take a second here to remind you that up to this point in Jesus' ministry, Jesus' life and his ministry has looked a lot like the prophets who had come before him. But in Matthew chapter 17, we're going to see that Jesus is way more than just another prophet. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 17 together. We'll start reading in verse 1. Here's what Matthew writes. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them to the top of a very high mountain. He was transformed in front of them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Peter reacted to all this by saying to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you want, I'll make three shrines, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, look, a bright cloud overshadowed them. A voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I dearly love. I am very pleased with him. Listen to him. Hearing this, the disciples fell on their faces, filled with awe. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Now, I can't even begin to imagine what it must have been like to stand on that mountaintop that day with Jesus. I can't even begin to imagine what it must have been like to see Jesus transformed or transfigured right before my very eyes. I can't even begin to imagine what it would have been like see Jesus joined there by Moses and by Elijah. But I'm pretty sure that the word terrified used in this passage doesn't even begin to explain how Peter and James and John felt as they saw this whole thing playing out before their eyes. But even in this moment of sheer terror in this passage, Peter shows us that he still doesn't really understand who Jesus is. When Peter says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, if it's okay with you, I want to go ahead and build some shrines while we're up here. I'll build one for you, and I'll build one for Moses, and I'll build one for Elijah. And when Peter says that, he's showing Jesus that he still thinks that Jesus is just like Moses and Elijah. So all three of them need identical shrines. Even at that moment is still missing the point. Because the point of the story of Jesus' transfiguration isn't that Jesus is just like Moses and Elijah. And we see that as the story comes to an end. Because as the story comes to an end, Moses is gone. Elijah is gone. Jesus is left. And what that story shows us is that we don't need another Moses. We don't need 
another Elijah. All we need is Jesus. All we need is Jesus. But we need the real Jesus. We need the real Jesus that we've been talking about throughout this sermon series. We need the Jesus who calls us to be his disciples. We need the Jesus who commands us to take up our cross daily if we want to follow him. We need the Jesus who tells us that if we want to follow him, we have to lay down our lives for him. So when it comes to Jesus, we don't really need to play a game of guess or no. We know who Jesus is. We know who the real Jesus is. But it's up to you. It's up to you to decide if you want to follow the real Jesus or if you want to follow a character, a caricature of Jesus that you've created instead. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this time of prayer, we're thankful for the stories that we've heard today and the reminders that we've received from them. We're so grateful that you sent Jesus, the Christ, your Son, into this world to save us all. But God, our expectations of what it means for Jesus to be our one true King are often different than the reality of who Jesus is. Jesus didn't come to be another Moses freeing the people of Israel from years of slavery in Egypt. Jesus didn't come to be another Elijah helping save the people of Israel from the corruption under a bad king in the history. Jesus came to save us from ourselves, from our sin, from the things that we do that separate us from you, God. So help us to see that we don't need Jesus to be another prophet. We don't need him to be like Moses or like Elijah. All we need is the real Jesus, the one that you sent into this world to live like us, to experience all that it means to be one of us, the good, the bad, the ups, the downs, so that nothing can separate us from you. So God, help us to follow the real Jesus, not just some Jesus that we've invented in our own minds. We pray all in his name. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode has helped you to realize that Jesus is all that you need. We don't need another Moses. We don't need another Elijah. All we need is Jesus, but we need the real Jesus. We need the Jesus who calls us all to follow him. We need the Jesus who commands us to take up our crosses every day if we're going to follow him. We need the Jesus who asks us to lay down our lives for him. But ultimately, it's up to you if you're going to follow this Jesus or not. Well, in our next episode, we're going to be starting into a brand new series of sermons called Faith, Hope, and Love. And we're going to be talking about those characteristics that define us as followers of Jesus. So I hope that you'll tune in when our next episode drops next Tuesday morning. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, that will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And while you're there, make sure that you leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word about this podcast to other people. And don't forget, you don't have to wait for next Tuesday to roll around to hear our next sermon. You can also join us online on our church website at mhbclouisville.com. 
www.thegrowingtrees.com slash live. We would love to have you with us. Well, until next time, I hope that you have a great week. I'll be praying for you, and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.